just a reminder to everyone, because I just realized listening to Gavin sign off that I haven't done this yet. Uh, send Justin your reg fees. You <laughs> <laughs> transfer, transfer him your reg fees. Well, I mean, a lot of people listening are going to be in the States. They're just going to have polo FOMO. Yeah. Pay, 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 send Justin reg fees. Send him a donation. He'll, he'll, he will love it. <laughs> What's up, Polo people? Bam, 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 bam. I'm excited today because something miraculous happened over this past weekend, and I was lucky enough to share it with my friends and teammates. That's right. It was Liam. Hey. And Alex. Hey, what's up? I was actually your teammate this week. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You were. I mean, Liam's just my teammate in life. He's just a fake general. Let's clarify. Let's clarify. You ditched me for another player. Well. I don't know if you well, – we'll talk about that later on, I guess, because he asked me to play with him before you did, so I don't know. Anyways, that's right. A bike pole tournament happened, and we're all still, I think, feeling pretty high from that. Eh? Like The stoke has not faded one bit from this weekend. Would you guys agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty faded myself, um, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the, the events that transpired have not faded from my – my memory yet i don't think <laughs> yeah if anything i am more excited now than i was like my excitement is just built over the course of the weekend i was at an all-time low leaving going like oh am i really doing this are we playing polo again what's happening and then actually being there and getting on the bike and seeing people and hanging out with people my uh, yeah my stoke as you would say has just uh has grown and so, didn't, didn't simmer on the ride home at all. <laughs> I just yeah. want more and I want it now. So as withered as we are from an endurance perspective, the Stoke is energizing us. But we're going to talk a lot more about said tournament later on because this episode is a tournament report. We're going to break it down exactly what happened. What was the action? What pieces of news came from it? Who played well? All these things. But before we do that... We better talk about the news because there's a lot of news this week, actually. Who wants to start? Uh, I mean, I'll start. We played a tournament and we'll talk about it later. (laughs) I feel like that's the biggest, that's the biggest, most important piece of news, right? (laughs) Absolutely. What's this other one? Oh, Canada border. This is news to me, actually. I didn't even know this. (laughs) Um, It looks like the border will open. Oh my God. August 9th. It's. That's in a few weeks. Um, the notes here say double vax required, negative COVID test required, and you're still supposed to have a 14 day quarantine plan. Whoa, this is for this is for coming into the. Yeah, Canada? so this is this is the border between Canada and the U.S. It was announced as opening August 9th, um, but it's going to require back for fully vaccinated people only and you're going to be required to have a negative covid test with you and at any point the government can still require you to go into a 14-day quarantine so you have to come with plans to prove that you're capable of doing that and that you're ready to if they ask you to Mm. so (laughs) maybe still not open for polo tournaments (laughs) good that's a lot of hoops to jump through just for a polo tournament yeah 
I was going to say that's it. quite a bit. Could be worth it. Another pole tournament coming up, though, Liam. Why don't you talk about this one? I feel like you're the most uh, <clears throat> yeah in touch with this. Well, I think I have the most personally invested in it because I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm planning on going to this Barrel Cider Invitational, the Mixer Extraordinaire. It's the first um, tournament of White Horse Bike Polo recently. Um, recently uh, birthed club <laughs> white horse bike polo by our previous guest ashwin if you heard him on the last episode it's going to be in white horse it's going to be labor day weekend september 4th to 5th and we have verbal uh, a verbal contract from the organizer ashwin that if you do not have the best weekend of your life he will personally give you 100 dollars canadian if you do not have the best time <laughs> the best weekend of your life this is what he said so it's going to be I hopefully the best weekend of my life. And if not, I have the insurance of a hundred buckaroos. So going to be great either way. Unfortunately, that's not enough to cover the flight. Um, the flight is a bit more from Ottawa. It's a bit more than a hundred dollars. Um, but you know, <laughs> I'm excited to be going. I've never been to Yukon and, um, I I've been wanting to go for a while and this, this was like, well, it seems like a good reason to go. And are you, uh, are you going to drive or are you going to fly? I f- I'm going to fly. Yeah. <laughs> the drive would be a bit insane from here. I, I would, I love the idea of getting like a North sides van together and doing like a really big trip. I don't think I can do the van trip this year. And actually <laughs> looking at my calendar, I don't know that I can even afford the weekend to fly out. I've just got <laughs> other family stuff going on uh, around that time. But yeah, this is one that I really want to go I, I'm going to feel if I, I really hope it happens again because it doesn't look like I can make it this year. And this is one of those tournaments I absolutely want to attend. Yeah, me too. It, it sounds like just so much fun. And I think if this is a yearly thing, I will eventually be boarding a flight to the Barrel Cider Invitational at some point in the future because uh, it just sounds like the vibe there is too awesome. I mean, our guest Ashwin last week was telling us all about it and um, I'm really jealous that you're going, Liam, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I actually, um, I heard, I don't know if this is true. I, I heard that there was somebody who biked from, or I don't even know if that's possible. They biked all the way from Rossland, BC, up to Whitehorse to play polo, which is like, I don't know how far that is. It's very far. <laughs> that's insane. But that speaks to the quality of the polo that uh, they are curating up there in the north so mm-hmm. um yeah I'm, I'm 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 excited to go and i'm i'm sure i'll have uh, more stories to tell once once that's uh once i've been there and well we're going to want to turn you guys can still come a full you guys one. can still come <laughs> and if you're listening to this podcast and you're on the west coast i mean this is a lot closer to you than it is for us east coast people um if you're in vancouver or anywhere along there i mean i would be going if i was that close for sure I have high expectations for this tournament and I expect them to be exceeded. <laughs> mm-hmm. The next piece of news we have here is forest city bike polo club is officially back or has officially begun. That's right. We have a new club in our region that they played pickup and they had good numbers. I was there for it. There was actually, I think nine players on the court. That's the forest city. That's London, Ontario, forest city, London, Ontario. And um, 
They have a beautiful court that we played on just inside of King's College. It looks like they might be searching for a new court, but it seemed like they have some really dedicated rookies. And they're doing it the right way. I mean, they got mallets ready for beginners to come out. They got bikes for people to try with. They're connecting with the cycling community that's in that city. And for people that don't know, London has a velodrome for track cycling. So there's quite a fixy kind of culture there because of that. And I mean, they've tapped into it. They got some track riders that are out there trying bike polo. And it's pretty incredible. Shout outs to Sasha and IREL, who seem to be the ones mostly organizing. But um, some notable beginners that I played with, Wyatt, Courtney, a bunch of other really friendly people out there that's names are slipping my mind. I'm sorry, guys. But it was just an awesome time. Matt Petersma rolled up too. It was great. Yeah, and Chatham. it was a lot of fun. So wait, yeah. can you clarify, Polo, has it never been in London, Ontario before? Is it like the first time it's been played or or was it played before and then sort of withered out? And just So here's the, the resurgence. Thing. There is a Facebook group that they're still using called Forest City Bike Polo. Ooh. However, no one knows who the admin is or the creator <laughs> is. And oh. we've been trying to track this down. We've been asking some old heads from the region, some of the Kitchener-Waterloo guys that are close by. No one knows who created this Facebook group. No one really remembers playing in London, but the page is there. So hmm. we suspect it's an artifact from a bygone era. It says we're just reviving polo. In this. It says it was created nine years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it now on September 25th. So it's a 20, new club 2011. That, so it's about a 10 year old page. So it's a new club that like already has a rich history. Exactly. <laughs> nobody mystery. knows said rich history. <laughs> it's already the mission. They've already got a mysterious origin story that can be told multiple different ways. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I'm really excited about it. I mean, that Toronto kitchener waterloo london corridor i mean those clubs are all separated by what is it an hour and a half of driving uh, easy commute easy commute for tournaments for (laughs) tournaments it's a slam dunk i mean you can wake up and drive down for your first game even if you're in toronto going to london you know so i I hope that club gets off the ground i hope k-dub continues to recruit i hope toronto grows and that would just be such a rich hotbed of tournaments and then you got the montreal ottawa kind of thing going up a bit more to the east north and uh yeah it's just going to be awesome i hope that all these seeds we're planting now bear fruit because we could have a pretty amazing tournament circuit within driving distance all i can say is if every player that we lost from toronto over the past few years starts their own club it's a hundred percent worth it (laughs) yeah I mean, Canada's got two new clubs this year, and I heard something about uh, one guy in Belleville who's trying, right? Liam, oh, yeah. you heard that's a rumor? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Shout so out to Ryan. Maybe that'll happen too. Anyways, let's get to the, the thing that people are waiting for. Rumble by the River. Who wants to give the context here? Uh, I'll, I'll try to I'll, – I'll set the tone a little bit. I mean, this tournament, we talked about it before. It was originally the Valley Four, but then – It's not really the Valley, and it's definitely not the Valley 4 if the Valley boys aren't organizing it. Um, Justin from Ottawa basically organized this tournament alone, Um, and I kind of want to stress that point. Like, I feel like every tournament now is put on by a club, right? Most tournaments are held by clubs. This wasn't like an Ottawa bike polo tournament. This was very much Justin organized a tournament. And like 
Justin scouted all the locations on his own ahead of time. He negotiated with the municipality. He found the sponsors. He did just so much work behind the scenes. I mean, literally everything behind the scenes. Got t-shirts made, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Actually put it out there into the world and coordinated with people. So he did all the work that normally, you know, it takes a, a team to do. So all the sort of, positives and negatives of this tournament i just always think it's like this was just one guy in lockdown doing this and it's absolutely incredible what he was able to accomplish so i just like seriously justin like well done man (laughs) yeah it's a huge undertaking but it just goes to show what like one dedicated person can do if they really just put their head to it right and justin is um like incredibly stubborn and when he puts his mind to something it gets done and I think even for myself, I was really doubting this tournament the day of, like driving up there, because this guy organized it by himself with little help from the club, but very little um, around the edges. And I was asking him questions like, is there bathrooms there? Did we actually <laughs> rent the campsite or are we just squatting in the park? <laughs> is there running water? Is there... and? I mean, Justin was just busy. He wasn't getting back to me right away. Short answers. And I had some serious fire festival vibes, you know, <laughs> that we're going to show up and be on a beach with nothing. It'd be like but, ham uh, sandwiches and geodesic dome tents. Exactly. <laughs> Geod- I would have taken geodesic dome tents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like yeah. fire fest stuff would have been great in that context. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I wouldn't but have complained. Honestly, it was... Uh, uh, beyond my expectations so far. So hats off to Justin. But why don't we get into the details of why this was so far beyond our expectations? Guys, what were you most impressed with about this tournament? Oh, that's a toughie. I, <laughs> I, I think the thing I was most impressed with was the location in general. Like something that pretty, I think it's over, an overlooked part of preparing for a polo tournament is scouting locations and i think that's because usually if a club is holding a tournament we they hold it at their court and so they're not you're not really scouting a location or choosing where you're going to hold it but for this one this is a camping tournament so everyone i guess we didn't say that before but everyone that was coming was coming to camp uh hopefully near or next to the court it ended up being right next to the court uh but the idea is that we're going to a small you know we're all going we're all traveling uh every single person that played in the tournament had to travel to the tournament and we're playing uh it's like you know it's a camping tournament so justin actually got to scout the locations and find he picked i think he picked an amazing spot he picked an awesome town we'll get into that exactly what made it awesome later but i was just blown away like you can tell if you had to pick between 20 different communities that had courts you could potentially play a polo tournament at like he picked the best one and it shows absolutely yeah for me as well just for context guys like this is a 3v3 tournament was rather small um six teams with a lot of pickup in between and i think we should just jump right into the venue because we got to talk about it because this is the greatest bike polo tournament venue i have ever been to (laughs) like bar none i think the camping thing is amazing yeah like, honestly just being at a tournament where once the games are done you can just go to the campsite your tents are a two minute walk away and everyone's just hanging out all together for the entire weekend instead of just when they're at the court just makes the vibe in the community 
feel of the tournament just so special. And usually when you go to a camping tournament, you got to drive from the campsite to the court. No, this was like, I could see the people waking up while I was saying, hey, you're on deck, get over here into the microphone at the court. We, we were, were camping in there. the same, we were camping in the same park yes. that, the court, that the court was built in. On the other side. So there were trees and stuff. Like it, it had both the advantages of we were camping far enough away from the town that we got to make a lot of noise at night and do our own thing. And it was relatively quiet so you could still sleep. But it was literally a two-minute walk across a park because we were in the same park that the court was in. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it just comes down to where it was. It was perfect. It was right by the river. There was great camping great food you know i think we had quite a few people come by and and check it out maybe i was expecting more people to be like what the hell is happening in our little quaint town <laughs> but um no it was it was uh it was the best spot it could have been so yeah kudos to justin for finding that so uh, Liam, you mentioned it. food what would you say are like the mm. great food resources that were close by there was well of course the cask um right on the corner there right by the ferry um and that was that was really good. I think the quality of food was good. The quantity of food was great, and just the perfect uh, the perfect uh, uh, bite to eat between your games and and whatnot. There was also a what was your store. favorite thing? What was your favorite thing they served there? What was your go to when you went to the Cascroot Chip? Oh, wagon? poutine. Obviously. Oh, is that so question? It's a Quebec poutine, eh? <laughs> I don't know. They had you like gotta get the poutine. meat. They had like barbecue ribs. They had pulled oh yeah, pork I had that sandwiches. too. But you got to get the poutine first. The 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 pulled pork poutine was where it was at. Yes, like it yeah, took me it took it. me all weekend to figure out that the it was the combination of those two that they did best. The P three, yeah. The P squared. If I, if I get my if I get my full like Yelp reviewer hat on, <laughs> um, I thought it was a little on the expensive side, and it took them a while. Like they were kind of slow serving the food. Oh my you know god! I mean, like next to the court, yeah, yeah. yeah and across I mean... the street from this this chip wagon that everyone's eating at, we have the SAQ, which is the Quebec liquor store, full of all the drinks you could ever want, and the Depanner that had all kinds of snacks or anything you could need for the entire tournament, kept us good and fueled. And also, we had bathrooms the whole time, so I don't know why I was so worried about that. Because <laughs> there were plenty we got all of the bases covered here. Yeah, <laughs> I thought we had the porta potty for the first day, and so I was using the porta potty, <laughs> and then uh, I like told someone I was going to go to the bathroom. I started walking towards the porta potty, and they're like, "What are you doing? Mm-hmm. There's literally an indoor bathroom, like a toilet that has like nice that you can use. Yeah, with that's lights. even closer. <laughs> yeah, with lights. Um." No, it was it was the per it was the perfect camping experience in the sense that we had all the amenities that you would want to make things better, but it was still you got the community and and, and all that. Mm-hmm. The river too, I think, is another big plus because this tournament was hot. The sun was out; it was muggy. People were sweating towards the final rounds of the tournament. We were taking breaks in between games just to let people cool off a bit. And there was nothing more refreshing than jumping in that river. Did you guys take a swim? Oh yeah, yep. Actually, I have a I have a pretty funny story from uh, right right at the end of the tournament when we were jumping. We jumped in the river to to cool off and also like just get all the sweat, <laughs> you know, clean up a little bit before the drive home. Um, and I was one of the last people to get in the river, so I I was walking by from the campsite and some a local couple had pulled up and I think they were they were having a date there was sort of a really awesome like secluded 
realistically the perfect skinny dipping spot. Like you couldn't see it from anywhere. Uh, but if you walked around this like little grove, there was like a little beach you could jump in the water at. And it was, it was just perfect. Um, and clearly this couple were going there expecting like a nice private time at the sunset. Uh, <laughs> and instead I like basically followed them out there. And I think they were like really sketched out. Like who is this dude following them out? But like, I knew that all the other polo players were already in the water at this point. So, and I just needed to cool off. So I think he was kind of like, they were kind of like, ah, oh, who's this guy? Whatever. And we got to the site and they kind of saw, you know, all the other polo, like five or six polo players in the water. Um, I, anyway, I just start stripping down uh, to my boxers before I jump in uh, just to cool off. And like, as I'm stripping down, they, uh, Justin's like, Hey, Alex, why don't you like, like, Whoa, you're going to strip like that in front of the strangers. And the guy like looked over and he's like, Oh, we don't mind at all. At which point they're like, Oh good. And everyone like stood up and they were, yeah, skinny dipping. (laughs) 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 It was like, it was pretty funny. Of course. (laughs) Skinny dipping in the auto river. Oh yeah. Rumble by the river tradition. Great way to cool off. Mm Mm-hmm. What about the state of play at this tournament? I mean, the court was pretty sweet. It was, I think, the perfect size. It had lights so we could play well into the evening once things cooled off. The surface was a little rough and a little bumpy. I heard some people complain about that, but I like it. It adds a bit of variance to the game that is a bit of spice that you need when the ball bounces over your mouth when you're trying to connect on a pass. It just makes the game a little more interesting and less uh, predictable. But uh, what did you guys think? I mean... First of all, I want to say this is the perfect size of court. Like this is it it's it's a hockey rink, but it's like a small one. So width-wise, it was it was just a really good sized court. I think the official like uh the official courts you get at NAs sometimes are like a little on the short side. They just feel a little short to me. Like there's just, it just doesn't quite open up the room for like the side to side passing plays and stuff. Like this court was the perfect size in the sense that um, you could you could do stretch passes, but you had you couldn't just throw it down the court and ride up to any pass. Like it wasn't like playing in Toronto where the court's impossibly long and it's basically like there's two games going on. Um, it was it was just such it was a really good sized court. The boards were excellent. Yeah, the surface was bumpy, but like you've got lights and you've got everything else. If 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 I have to make one sacrifice, I would rather have a slightly bumpier surface but have good boards and a good size rather than have like a bad size with a better surface, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm. Liam, what's your take? Yeah, I thought it was great. A bit bumpy, but you know, nothing we're not used to playing at F. Tremblay. It's like, uh, adds that little dimension of, uh, excitement. Just just rewards good shoot, good shooters. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it held, it makes you better. Uh, I think it makes you or forces you to become better at controlling the ball with controlling the little bounces and whatnot. And the size was, yeah, the size was great bit smaller than i guess a traditional hockey rink but it was it was great for like um it was great for bike polo great yeah well we'll obviously get to the tournament results and who won the tournament what were the positions and that kind of stuff but more importantly how spicy was the pickup guys what do you think of the pickup yeah it was fun it was hot (laughs) very hot I, I wish there was more of it. Like, I just wish, I think one of, I think the heat was the contributing factor, right? My biggest complaint about the court was that there just wasn't enough shade. Like, I think we could have brought, we probably, if the, if this, if this happens next year, hundred percent, we're bringing more pavilions. So there's just like enough space for people 
mm-hmm. to hang out in the shade. It was just really, really hot, and there wasn't a ton of good places to cool down. And I think that kind of reduced everyone's desire to play pickup. Mm. Um, but otherwise, the pickup itself was awesome. Yeah, I want to give some shout outs to some of the Ottawa locals that maybe didn't play in the tournament because of other commitments, but came out to, uh, you know, support and play pickup because they really spiced things up. We had uh, Magali, we had Leslie, we had Brody, Johnny Rockstar, Angelo, even Lefty Will came all the way from Valdemont to play with us. Yeah, Lefty and, Will. Uh, yeah. The furthest traveling competitor, tournament or not, well, was uh, Belleville Ryan Powell. Shout out to Belleville Ryan Powell. Shout out to Ryan Powell. But also, I think we've got to say hi to Brody or to shout out Brody because he rode all the way from Almont to <laughs> yeah. uh, to Quillon, like on the ferry with his polo bike, <laughs> like on that tiny ratio. I think it was like there and back 90K. <laughs> yeah, 90K on a polo bike with that ratio. Unbelievable. Yeah, but uh, stayed the night and had a good time and uh, it was great to see him out there. But yeah, I thought the pickup was really awesome. Honestly, like I wish there was more of this at tournaments, even the most competitive tournaments that I go to often, the more competitive the tournament is, the less pickup happens because everyone's like, need to conserve my energy to win prizes. But like when you go to, when you travel to a tournament, I just want to play with new people. You know, I want to mix it up. And I thought it was really cool watching some of the Ottawa players that have never played with any of these Montreal players or, Play with some of these people from Toronto that were there, um, watching them get in there and seeing how the dynamics and the different styles kind of measured up to each other. That was my favorite part. Mm. Yeah, I, I, this tournament, I feel like because this was the first tournament after COVID restrictions have lifted, uh, it kind of we we had a disproportionately small turnout. Like I think if you do this tournament again next year, we'll have a much larger turnout, uh, just because people will be more comfortable traveling like even when this tournament was announced and you kind of had to decide whether you were going to go or not it wasn't clear if it was going to be a good idea or things were going to be open so i think it ended up that there were a lot less people attended this than than would otherwise and that meant that there was a lot more time for pickup and that's Mm -hmm. left me thinking like the pickup was awesome and mixing it in was so great that i want to revisit how we organize tournaments to try to see if there's a way to to keep the good parts from this tournament with more when there's more teams, you know, mm-hmm. be, yeah, I thought it was really cool how down the stretch of the tournament we were doing like, because at the end of any two loss elimination, there's always that awkward time where some teams have to play back to back. Right. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes there's just a 10 minute wait before they get tired. But like in this tournament, we'll use that time to play pickup games, which I yeah, thought I think was that... a cool, um, cool thing. Yeah. I think that was games. a great, a great format, especially cause it was so hot. And like uh, to give the teams that just played a break and um, yeah, to throw in, have, have people that are down to play pickup, uh, especially because as you get later in that tournament, there's going to be more people hanging around perhaps that have been eliminated, so to speak. So um, it might be, uh, I think it's cooler to have, have it start earlier in the uh, tournament rather than just being like, you're going to take a break, you know, why not have some people play on the court? While stead break is happening. <laughs> the worst part about getting eliminated is it means you're done playing polo for the day. And I think having <laughs> having pickup games so that if you get knocked out of a tournament, unfortunately, early, your Sunday isn't just over. There's, you know, I, I actually thought that was really, really cool. I could see logistically, uh, a lot, I feel like a lot of polo tournaments are 
end up running super late on Sundays because there's not enough time to finish the games. So maybe it's worth rethinking how we're structuring tournaments to make sure that uh, that time crunch isn't isn't happening and that maybe we just put more pickup in it. I don't know. It, it, I'm, I'm thinking about tournament organization in a whole new way after this weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the pros of a camping tournament where the tents are right next to the court is that if people aren't there on time, you know where they are. Yeah. <laughs> and you can go get them. You know where to find them. And Justin did do it a couple times this tournament, which kept us running only a little bit behind schedule. Well, on polo schedule. I, I always say for polo tournaments, like after the party Friday night, if if they say I, I say there's like there's starting time and then there's starting time in polo time. And polo time is just one hour after whatever time they said. If they say <laughs> games are starting at nine and you roll up at 945 there's a good chance you got 15 minutes before you're on and yeah. all i'll say to that alex is i challenge you to organize a tournament and schedule it and be responsible for that and uh <laughs> we still think the same thing once you've done that oh no, no no i i think it's important to push people to actually be there at nine but just expect things to start at an hour after they actually do it's yeah, just, any good tournament organizer is going to put in at least 30 minutes of uh, buffer time but we shouldn't yeah. be saying that on the air because now people are going to know that and <laughs> we'll add another 30 minutes so <laughs> yeah. why don't we uh, break down the results of this tournament so the team that took it down was call me dabby it included myself alex and justin the tournament organizer wow um what a coincidence yeah i know uh <laughs> Strong team, obviously. Um, One notable thing that did happen that was kind of a bump in the road was Friday night really got the best of Justin. And he was (laughs) not to be seen on Saturday morning. And I was lobbying for a disqualification. I was saying this team should be thrown out because their captain isn't here. But some of the other players are in the community and mentioned, you know what, there's a rookie here. Her name is Leslie. She's here for pickup. She can sub for Justin. And Leslie was happy enough to join us and actually went undefeated with her. So she really stepped up to the plate and picked up the slack where Justin was uh, passed out, hung over in his tent. Yeah. I mean, we've often talked about the tournament strategy where you get uh, your the player on your team who's most likely to get too uh, party too hard and have it affect their performance. You, uh, you get them really fucked up on a Friday night so that they don't touch any alcohol on Saturday and then they're ready to go Sunday. Uh, it works. And for the first time, it wasn't me. i was gonna say yeah this technique was devised specifically for the alex lion uh, (laughs) polo player yeah stasis mode but justin just did it saturday morning while leslie (laughs) ripped it up on the court slain um but second place was okay scoop it a newer montreal team that consisted of mo um elliot and seichi seichi um what did you guys think of that team they were so good like so they act i I think they had the best the most refined teamwork of the tournament and i think that like got them the result like they they were doing team plays they had awesome communication skill level wise like i think all all of these players played at poutine the net uh before lockdown and seeing just how mechanics and team chemistry has improved since then was like unbelievable Mm -hmm. i'm i'm so excited for what's happening in Montreal. And I just like, I can't wait. I just want to keep seeing more. I just want to play more. That's the, you know, the stoke is at an all time high. When Elliot told me he'd only been playing for like a little over two years, my floor about hit the floor. The and that's including quarantine. 
yeah, including the COVID quarantine and all the stoppages, it's unbelievable the rate of progression. Well, they play a lot over there. That's true. And they I think they do a lot. a lot of solo polo too. Yeah. A lot, I have a feeling. But uh, that was really impressive to watch that team. Third place had the tournament MVP on it. That was Jermaine of Montreal. It also included one Daniel Halpert of Toronto and a rookie named Sophie, who was awesome uh, the whole time for Montreal as well. And another really strong rookie coming out of Montreal. It was pretty incredible to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I think she said this was her first tournament experience for bike polo. So I think it was a bet- no better. I think it was the best tournament uh to be the first one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And any other notable performers you guys want to give a shout out to, or people you think deserve a, you know, a bit of a hip hip hooray for their performance and how they played. I tried to write a list before we recorded this episode. And I actually wrote every single person that registered down. Yeah. Um, and like, not because I feel like every, I was like, we got to give everyone a shout out, but like literally I was going through people and i was thinking about like i feel really weird being like oh i'm gonna let's do a segment of the podcast where we evaluate everyone and like oh my god this is stupid but that was like okay who are the people that i thought were like i just want to give a shout out to and it was literally everybody like mocha is in so much but like i can't believe how much better mocha was playing playing with him uh we did some pickup games this weekend and like just i remember mocha the rookie and this was like Mocha, the I'm going to score on a bunch of vets. <laughs> like, just completely different. Um, everyone looked so good. Uh, I, I honestly want to shout absolutely everyone out. Like, um, do the, it. The, the, the actual rookies from Montreal. Do it. Um, like, Mo and oh, not Mo, but the other Mo that's, uh, you know, um, just everyone was so good. I couldn't believe the rookies. That I met for the people, the new players, like the rookies I met for the first time, exceeded my expectation by so much that I, I'm just absolutely excited to see. Um, I, I just like I want to continue to see them grow, and and they were they were exciting both in their ability, like on court ability. You just you see a lot of potential, but then they're just really cool people, and they were super chill hanging out off the court, and like to me, that just means hopefully these are people that are going to be a part of the bike polo community for a long time. And I think they're already contributing so much. Mm. Yeah. Shout out the Chassers all-stars Chasser career all-stars. I love, I I love everyone that's from Chasser. They bring such a fun energy to polo. Uh, and, and that team of, uh, yeah, Julia Mo and Malcolm different Mo than okay. Scoop it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they were, they were super fun (laughs) and, uh, yeah, I'm so glad they, they came out. Also, I, player... I know I want to shout out Christina though because she was yeah. really good on the Baby Shakers, which was um, a all Ottawa team, and it was uh, um, they. Christina was really good in net, and and she was also out there making plays, and she came out uh, both days to sub in um, for uh, Christine, who's I guess a member of ADD, which is the team that we all love to talk about. Um, yeah. The legendary but, Ottawa team, and how good were Reg and Jeff or Jizza? Like, oh, they're always great. They yeah. were on, a, but they were even on another level from what I remember them as. You know, like yeah. every, literally, like I said, every, like I started to make a list, and it just had every single player. The one person I will single out, there is this guy Liam. He's put in these tournament winning performances <laughs> before. Just you know, kind of 
kept it steady. Like I really would want to see. I didn't have to stay in the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) I was allowed to leave the net in this tournament. It was great. In all seriousness, like you killed it, and you were you were like scooping around me and just styling on me one one v one. Like it was it was just incredible by absolutely ever like literally. The thing is, there were only six teams in the three v three tournament, so it was pretty small list of players that were actually there. But every single player that played in this tournament just blew me away. Yeah. I like to think I, I elicited the biggest crowd reaction and it was neither a goal nor a save. It was when I like clipped the handlebars on the, on the uh, net and just went down hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I think that was the loudest the crowd had ever cheered or jeered or whatever. I was just like, yeah, I did something. <laughs> well, Liam, I saw you scoop it around Alex's front wheel and right in front of him. I yelled out immediately. Oh, oh we yeah. got you there, Alex. He yeah, got you got dressed down in the post game. No, but the worst like, You're going to let him beat you like that? The worst part is Liam <laughs> did that to me once. And you'd think you'd be like, okay, this guy's got this new, you know, he's got a new trick in his bag. Like, you got to cover that. But then he got me again with it. So, like, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even be like, oh, he oh got me once. Gosh. Like, whatever. I'm like, going to have to retire it soon. That's the problem. Like, I, I've become known for going bottom bracket on people. And now people just cover it. And it's just a turnover. <laughs> yeah, you got to switch it up. Gotta switch mm-hmm. it up. Yeah. You gotta have a whole uh, repertoire of moves. Um, I want to give a couple shout outs to some other players that you know played really well on the court, but did a lot of good stuff off the court. So I was told that Friday morning before we all got there, the court was actually covered in weeds that were growing out of all the cracks, and some of them were around three feet tall. And oh, Leslie dang. was there since like one in the afternoon, weeding the court and preparing it for us to play. Wow. So that's just like a superhuman rookie effort. She also did a lot of coordinating with the city. Um, one notable member of the city, uh, our park superintendent, his name was Jacques. Shout out to him too. Such a sweetheart of an older man who came out and made sure we had the lights, made sure we had enough garbage cans. He hauled over a bunch of picking tables for us with his four by four. It was such a cool time. Another person, Reg. Um, yeah. This guy doesn't go to a tournament without bringing everything you need to host a tournament. So whenever you have don't have something like bug spray or a tarp to make more shade or a park tools bench and a complete like store of tools that a bike store would have, he has everything and yeah. he brings it. He brought a speaker with a microphone. He brings first aid kits. He brings everything. And he was there helping out everyone who needed anything the whole time. So that was awesome of him as well. So hats off to those two and anyone else that I'm forgetting that pitched in and did something for this tournament because it was a team effort. Justin did a lot by himself, but on the day of, we all pulled together to make sure this was a success. And one one person I do want to shout out specifically, uh, didn't play in the tournament, got in on a couple pickup games, but uh, Ryan from Belleville, not only showed up and was <laughs> awesome to meet and was really cool and played in games, uh, really helped me film a whole bunch of games. Uh, I brought my camera and filmed a bunch of stuff. We're still I'm still figuring out what we're going to do with all that. Uh, but it was really cool. I never get to see us on camera, like our games played, yeah. uh, because usually if I'm filming, like I just don't, you know, I can't film my own games. So it was awesome that he actually recorded uh, a lot of the games and I was just dying in the heat. So it really, it really helped having someone do that. But then he went above and beyond. And as, as like, I, I would say, I think he's a rookie, but he also was like, calling his friends to the court he brought friends to be like hey check out this bike polo thing (laughs) like this guy's already recruiting it was uh it was unbelievable yeah he just started playing uh last year 
and yeah. he'll uh we should get him on the show he's Bill ryan powell that's him he's uh he's a good man for sure and i know he's an avid listener of the podcast so he'll love to uh to hear this he's even emailed the pod before actually indeed um indeed i have a couple questions to round this out for you guys okay the way i like to rate bike pole tournaments is by how far of a radius would you say this tournament is worth traveling to right like is it worth five hours of travel or only three hours of travel or is it worth 12 hours of travel like i know i've done for some tournaments um how far would you travel to go to this tournament in hours so i don't know that i want to measure this in hours i think I would be willing to do a one day drive to and from this tournament, but I probably would not fly into this tournament. Mm. Okay, and explain your rating. Explain that. Why? So this was this was a really, really fun tournament. Like everything we've said, camping was awesome, community is awesome, everything here was great. Like, if don't get me wrong, if someone flew in, like some someone from the West Coast flew flew in, uh, they would have a great time. But I feel like to me, the expectations of like what I want to get out of a weekend of polo, the added expense of flying, like if you're flying to a to a polo tournament, like you could fly just about anywhere and the cost becomes so much higher, right? One of the biggest advantages of polo tournaments is usually you can carpool and then housing is either free or unbelievably subsidized. Uh, like you're just going in on a, a place with a bunch of people. Like usually polo tournaments are really inexpensive weekends. And this was a very inexpensive weekend. But if you added the flight as like it was so hot and especially this was the first version of the tournament. I think it'll be better if it happens again next year. Like it will be improved. But I would be I wouldn't be a hundred percent that someone flying like paying for a flight, like people from California that pay for the flight to fly up here. I don't know if this was, I don't know if this is the North sides tournament. I would want them to fly to the region for, mm. but it was an awesome tournament. Liam, what's your opinion? Uh, well, yeah, it's a good question. I think it's sort of, I don't know this. I saw that this less as a tournament is more as just like polo with camping. And it was, you know, the competitive aspect of it was just, uh, you know, to make it fun and to get, to get to see everybody again and to, you know, play the sport we all love. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I would, I would travel pretty far. I mean, we were lucky. We only had to go about an hour or so from Ottawa to, and, um, that, that enough people came out and, uh, but I thought, you know, if we use Lynn's, uh, travel as an example, um, from Quadra Island, to Couillon, Quebec is about 3,620 kilometers. So <laughs> there's a bit of an answer there. That's how far hours <laughs> it's worth traveling. Like, oh my God. Um, but Lynn uh, Stain, like they're not going I know, back. I know. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, so. but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, I would, I would definitely um, make an effort from i <laughs> i don't yeah. know well to be honest it's like what well, we haven't played a tournament since uh, that one in kitchener uh, like a year and a half ago so mm -hmm. um for this one i would have definitely traveled far and wide i would have traveled five hours six just to play yeah and, if oh, i would have i would have driven 12 hours or more <laughs> to get to the like anything that i could conceivably cover in a day 
I would I would be there for. It's just that's a high I think that's a I think once rating. yeah, but like I think once you add like even if if you're driving like if you were driving from Winnipeg and you had to get a hotel and it was going to be like at probably probably two days and like two long days of driving plus gas there and back you know that's when it starts to be i i think one of the biggest appeals to this tournament was how chill it was and if you're spending thousands of dollars on flights or you're spending like (laughs) a week in transit plus gas and accommodation then as expected like it kind of becomes a little bit less chill like it takes a special person to be able to invest that much in a weekend and then just kind of be okay with whatever. Like, I think you end up like, if you're going through that much expense for the weekend, you kind of end up setting expectations. And I think part of what made this tournament so special was that, like we said, we all went in with Firefest vibes and no expectation <laughs> and it ended up being amazing. Uh, and I think that chill sort of part of it made it so cool. Uh, but like, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't feel the same way if I had to fly here for it. For me, there's one factor that I think would limit the amount I would travel and makes it, I think more of a local tournament. And that's just having one court. Yeah. I mean, you can only have so many teams on one court, like max in a three V three, I'd probably do 15 teams. Right. And there are easily 15 teams worth of players in Ontario and Quebec. So it becomes hard to travel or fly to a tournament when there's only one court there, I think, because it just means like, if everyone has that, like that's a hot spot tournament, you want to play in it, court time becomes a factor, right? And I think this tournament is an amazing tournament for, I think, that kind of Ontario, Quebec, within seven hours of driving is what I would say. Seven hours of driving, I would be there. But eight hours, that starts to be like, you have to take a day off work to do the drive. You know what I mean? Like seven hours, you can conceivably get off work Friday night, drive down there, party a little bit, go to sleep. And then Sunday you can drive home and just be exhausted on Monday. But uh, anything more than that, I think you had to take the day off work. And I don't think for this tournament, just because there's only one court, I don't know if I'd do that, but rumble two next year, I heard is going to be table <laughs> danger theor- uh, themed. And I'm expecting big things. Cause if we get more canopies out there and a few more teams show up, maybe in a more, maybe are more comfortable with COVID and things like that going on. I mean, this could be a pretty poppin' tournament next year. Like, this tournament easily has double the teams, I think, if it's a month later. Like, if if it was being announced now and held in a month, I think easily double the teams from our region register and go and, and have an awesome time. And, and in some ways, I'm really glad it was now because I got to play polo a month earlier. And I know that was Justin's rationale for doing it when he did. So, um, yeah. That was cool. And it was perfectly timed. I mean, the corner's really been turned, at least in Ottawa, for the time being with COVID. I mean, all last week before the tournament, it was zero cases every day, except for one. I think we had two. So, I mean, I couldn't think of a better time to do with the vaccination rates as high as they are. So, that's amazing. Yeah. Any uh, final points on this tournament, or should we get into Alex's uh, little report he's got? <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh stories highlights what do you guys have there's so many highlights and like inside jokes and things it was just really cool meeting everyone you had to be there yeah (laughs) i don't know i don't know how much of it i want to like try and capture or explain on the air but uh what's it to be (laughs) yeah just be there next year i think it's just uh 
a glimmer of things to come. Hopefully we have more of these in the near future. Oh, we better. And that uh, venue is too good to go to waste. Yeah. Yeah. But even just, uh, you know, our, our usual stuff, hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully we can continue doing these, um, to the end of time without any other COVID interruptions, but we'll see. We'll oh, one thing, goes. one thing I will say, shout out to the, the court was on like literally right next to uh, a major like road cycling route in the area. Yeah. So we had an endless stream of roadies coming by and being like, bike hockey. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Looks, looks dumb. Yeah. That, that, that was pretty sweet. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now I'm excited for this next segment we have here, the AliExpress carbon parts report that you've been promising people. Maybe we buried the lead a little bit, putting so deep in the podcast, but this was the first term and Alex played on all those cheap parts he bought from China. How did they do, Alex? Give us the report. So I thought I've been very close to trying to give my verdict on this uh, before because I've been out, I've solo poloed, I, I've kind of tested them. And I sort of had an idea in my head and I was pretty close. I think if this tournament didn't happen this early, I was going to uh, reach a verdict ahead of time. And I'm really glad I got the tournament experience because they actually performed a lot better than I expected. So if I had to evaluate these all of these parts and the, the T1 build um, based on solo polo and stuff, uh, I would have been overly harsh on them. The reality is they are extremely light and they held up. They actually, like, we went through the whole tournament. I played a bunch of games of pickup. They took some hard rips, and I crashed a couple times, and everything was fine. So, I mean, in that sense, they exceeded expectation because the brutal, honest verdict is not great. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, in many ways, you, you get what you pay for. Uh, <clears throat> I want to break it down into sort of the two two different components because I think uh, my review was a little bit different for them. So the bars stem and seat post uh, were one sort of kit that I got for very cheap. Um, and they work like their bars stem and seat post. Like the, I feel like those are the things that you could very easily do uh, and reasonably expect. I had like, I had a high expectations for those just because they're a lot simpler and easier and interchangeable. Um, and they're great. They're super the bars are extremely light, but with the drawback that they're kind of flexy. And then the other parts are deceptively heavy, like heavier than if I just got an aluminum one. Um, and they don't work any better. Like the stem, the stem loosens after every three hours of polo play. So I have to like readjust <laughs> it. But I think that is maybe more of a byproduct of the fork which was really the big ticket item that I was the most excited for specifically because uh, I find the ad Astro fork very flexy. Like I just, I on my ad Astra, um, I didn't have any toe overlap on my front wheel, but when I went for front wheel pivots, I had about like an inch of toe overlap. So that's how much my fork was flexing. Um, and I, I will say that the fork I got was incredibly stiff the actual fork and the the sort of the parts that I was expecting to evaluate it on are they blew away my expectations. They're fantastic. Unfortunately, the quality control on some things like the dropouts is where it got a little dodgy. And because it's carbon, 
it's not the good parts that you evaluated on. It's the the low points that can sort of cause catastrophic failure. Um, the dropouts weren't super well shaped. So I actually had to dremel them out to be able to get um, my front wheel in. And as a result, it the wheel alignment isn't perfect because like I had to dremel it <laughs> and I'm not great. Um, and that affected my brakes <laughs> because they're not perfectly in line. So it's just like one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. And the ultimate conclusion is I just never felt like I could trust it. It worked. And I think if it was anything other than a polo bike, it would probably work well enough. Like if this was a commuter, you could save a ton of weight. I see why people buy these. They're really cool. But for polo, I want to use and abuse and be in all sorts of weird accidents and throw my bike around. And I just don't trust this. Um, mm. I, the perfect example is like, I couldn't rely on it to do wheelies. Like I would, I would slam the weight on or like really accelerate. I never felt like I could give it a hundred percent. And that's not what you want from a polo bike. Like your polo bike has to be something you're comfortable exceeding going like 110% on. And this one, I, I, it just didn't have the reliability for me. And so my conclusion is that I'm going back to the Ad Astra. <laughs> Whoa, big moves. Yeah. Skipping back, eh? Still yeah. Still not going 26, though. No, I, you know, I got to see the Enforcer 13s in person this weekend. They're gorgeous bikes. They look awesome. Um, Justin's bike is particularly gorgeous, but watching a dude Justin size ride a 26 like that is like a clown bike. Like it's so cool, but he's got the riser bars. He's got his seat jacked up. His, his saddle height is like twice the height of his wheels. It looks ridiculous. Like he just needs a bigger bike. <laughs> I'm sure it's an awesome bike, but not for someone of that size. Um, Obviously that's a personal take, but like, yeah, ultimately, even the T1 frame felt a little bit too light and fragile for me. And the clearance on the rear wheel is such that um, I feel like I can't run wide. The I can't run the tire width that I want on it. So I'm not even sold on the T1 frame. I love the geometry, though. It just overall this weekend, I the biggest downside for me this whole weekend was that I felt like my bike wasn't there and I was trying a bunch of new stuff. So that that's fine. But yeah, overall, um, I'm going to be looking at new polo bikes. Like I, I like my Ad Astra, but I'm definitely open to suggestions for new or for other options. And I'm not married to the 700 wheel size. Um, what? But it's going to take a lot to get me off. <laughs> I mean, not what? as tall as Justin. I'm going to be honest with you here, Alex. Yeah, I think there was some uh, some of those Enforcer 700s for sale. I saw. But I don't. I'm not convinced the Enforcer 700 is significantly better than the Ad Astra, like to warrant a oh. change. Oh, they were pretty cheap, I think. Relatively cheap. Hmm. Well, we'll keep our eyes open. If anything amazing comes up that you do deem as a significant increase over the Ad Astra, uh, we'll snap it up. Yeah, but, I uh, feel I'm in a weird place. I don't know what I want, but I, I it's not a T1 <laughs> with a bunch of cheap carbon parts. <laughs> It was fun while it lasted, though. It was fun. It was incredibly light. And you didn't die. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the best thing, the best Nothing case broke, scenario. Honestly. Nothing broke, yeah. yeah. It's a miracle. 
And I think in some ways that's that's a shame. Like I was hoping <laughs> it would either fail spectacularly and we'd have like some awesome clip of me just exploding a fork on a on a pivot or something and like hopefully walking away. But yeah, like, but then we I might have we to have... find a new podcast host. Yeah, but I, I thought <laughs> we'd have something like an awesome climax to to talk about or uh or the, the you know, I don't know. I just it feels like this is the worst outcome because either I thought either the parts would be great or they would fail spectacularly. And in, in this sense, they're just not that great. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's the least interesting, most disappointing possible outcome. Mediocrity. Fair enough. Speaking of something that's completely not mediocre though. Like what about the mailbag? Mailbag. In this week's edition of the mailbag, we got a, we got not just a letter, we got a full-on package, a manuscript, <laughs> if I can say, from one Dr. Stephen Ossenberg um, writing to us from Humboldt County, California. And um, off the bat, uh, forgive us, Stephen, we have uh, heavily abridged the <laughs> this email for the listeners here, but we would love to have you on the show because you have a lot here to talk about. And I think this would, I mean everything you touch on here is worthy of an episode in itself. So um, similar to Brett's Terminator talk, um, but this one's a bit more coherent and uh, polo related. <laughs> well, what are you trying to say about Brett's Terminator talk? I'm, I'm, I'm saying it was a good email too, but I'm saying this one is a bit more on topic. <laughs> I had a couple of people come up to me this weekend and tell me that was their favorite episode of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think Elliot mentioned it to me that it was funny for him too. Um, so from Steven Ossenberg, he writes, Liam, Alex, and Gavin, first and foremost, thanks for the podcast. It's the first podcast I've ever really listened to more than one episode of. I just started listening about a month ago, and I only have a handful left to be caught up. He has a few takes here. His first take, he's a recent 700 to 26 convert. Uh, his first real polo bike was an Ad Astra, hashtag RIP Fixcraft, which I loved and foolishly sold prior to entering semi-retirement in early 2019 after moving to a polo desert. I emerged from retirement this spring after I recently moved again, but this time what amounts to only a polo drought town with a small local club still playing on occasion, who even managed to host a friendly tournament mere weeks after I moved here. Um, he actually tried to buy back his Ad Astra um, from the person he sold it to, only to learn it had been stolen from the trunk of their car. Um, and now rides a Enforcer BD, which is the 26. Is that's the, yeah, that's like the model before the 1.3, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. the steel framed enforcer. It's and, I think the geometry is extremely similar to the uh one three. Yeah, and quote, couldn't be happier. Doubt if I'll ever consider seven hundred C again. Sorry, Alex. Even though that Astra will always hold a soft spot in my heart. Um and he also has a bone to pick here with Gavin about your mount length tank. Mm -hmm. He says, while I completely agree that the mount length is mostly subjective and overall the longer the better, I disagree that everyone's hands are essentially the same distance from the ground. An extreme example is just Googling pictures of pro basketball players next to normal sized people. You'll see their hands are not at the same height from the ground, but even two people of the same height might have drastically different proportions. Hence the reason custom clothiers and tailors exist. Um, furthermore, since bike size and seat height are also proportional to one's height, shorter folks naturally have a shorter distance to cover between their hand and the mallet and the court surface. What do you think about that, Gavin? 
Well, I am currently Googling pictures of Yao Ming to watch him standing beside other people. Okay. I yes. think it's just the shoes. It's just the shoes that make a difference, right? <laughs> the oh, thing yeah. is, though, that these basketball players also have ridiculously long arms, right? So I, I always thought that would counteract the distance your shoulders are from the ground, how long your arms are. But I guess it's not completely one-to-one. It's probably like the ratio is probably like because you have two arms, so it's a little different in those measurements but uh i see your point i see your point i think perhaps tall players do need a longer mallet just to get a roughly similar experience on the bike with the mallet in their hands however i think that sizing someone for a mallet in the ways that i was originally showed like it's supposed to be the exact length of your arm or it's supposed to reach your tailbone or this kind of thing yeah is sizing uh, completely wrong just <laughs> pick up the mallet figure out what how long you want your mallet to be are you a, a long boy who needs a long mallet or are you more of a shorty person it doesn't matter as long as you make it look good in the end yeah, I, I wish we could have a more concrete like metric to tell people like sit on your bike pick something between this length and this length. Cause it is kind of overwhelming when you, if you're a new player and it's like, well, how long do I make this thing? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> right. It, you are kind of going out and picking something. And I think it does. The mallet length does actually affect people's experience at polo. The only input I would have, and I think I said this on the episode, but I think it's better to err on the side of being a little shorter because shorter makes it easier to stick handle. Yeah. He actually talks about that in the email. He says, I think Alex probably hit the nail on the head that newer players tend to stick handle closer to their side, which is easier with a shorter mallet. So shorter mallet is probably better to start with rather than Gavin's suggestion of starting long and trimming. Otherwise, they'll probably wheel wheel jam themselves and their players a lot more often and make it much harder time handling the ball. Okay. I mean, that makes sense, right? Like if you've got your mallet on the end, if you have a long mallet, it's just more length between your hand and the the head. It's just more, it's harder logistically to coordinate. I think we, we talked about all this on, on that episode, but um, yeah, it's this, this is motivation. I want to like make a note to try to see if we can, uh, I don't know, do a study of polo players and their mallet lengths to try to come up with at least a rule of thumb for new players to get a starting point. I mean, my personal take on this is that if a rookie is handling the ball beside their bike, you should probably tell them to put it in front of their front wheel. Like, why are we teaching people to do bad things? <laughs> well, right? Like, hard. You're like trying to learn, trying to run before you learn to walk there. I, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I just think that that's like the habit people get in when they come on, because I actually think it's easier to play the ball kind of in front of your wheel, just poking it forward. Like you're shuffling mm-hmm. than it is to flick it on the side of your bike. But I think it really depends on like where a new player's experiences is at. Like I, a lot of people, when they come to bike polo, I think the first fundamental skill you need to, to really get good at polo or to really play polo is being comfortable riding with only one hand on your bars. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you have a new player that isn't already extremely comfortable riding one handed, the idea that they're going to be able to play the ball in front of their handlebars is just an extra step, Right a lot of people come from like couriers or we're, we're sort of bike. We're already bike savvy. We're already very comfortable riding with one hand or no hands. So for us to be able to then challenge ourselves to play in front of the net, we're in front of our, uh, in front of our wheel makes sense. 
But I think for genuinely new, inexperienced players that are already uncomfortable just riding with one hand, giving them a short mallet and encouraging them to play the ball on their side is probably the best thing. I agree, but I think you got to transition them out of that real quick. There are so many players out there, so many, um, that just completely plateau their skill level because they just never, I'm talking about righties, they never learn to turn left with the ball. They're always trying to play it beside their bike and kind of like hit it forward as they turn left. And they just causes turnovers every single time. And they can't move quickly when they do that because they'll lose the ball. You got to learn to cross that ball over your front wheel and slide it on your mallet head as your arm crossed over onto that left side. Like that's just, if you want to be able to turn left at speed as a righty, you need to be able to do that. And just so many people plateau because they pick up this bad habit and they never learn uh, to undo it. You know, take a page out of Ricky Bobby's book. You got to be able to turn left. You do. <laughs> you really have to be able to turn left at speed. It unlocks the offense. I tell every rookie, once they got the basics down, I say, okay, let's learn to figure eight and practice crossing over that front wheel. That's one yeah. of my favorite drills. Um, if I go back to uh, Stephen's email, Dr. Stephen's email, and um, forgive us. Yeah, we did. We definitely did a bridge uh, <laughs> what you had wrote. And I've admitted a lot of the polo history because I think we would like to have you on the show just to talk about um, your, 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 um, well, your polo history and, and where you grew up and where you uh, started playing. Um, but one of the topics he mentions is uh, a general topic I could suggest for a future episode that I've only heard get brief mention is on court team communication, which as a total introvert, quiet type is something I've always been horrible at, but at least I'm aware of how important it is for team dynamics and success. Some of the guys in Lancaster, uh, this is Lancaster, Pennsylvania, were amazing at it, but I still don't quite think I'm sure what upboards, downboards, mids, or many of the other terms they and others use actually mean, at least not comfortably enough to use them effectively. Equally valuable too on defense is a goalie who can direct their teammates where to be and how to steer and most effectively defend. Um, but to this day, when I try to do it, I usually say the exact opposite of what I mean because of the mirror effect of my teammate on defense coming towards me and their left being my right and vice versa. Mm. I think that's a great topic. We, we, yeah, we briefly mentioned it. We don't really talk about um, the sort of specifics. Yeah. I think, I think every club has their own language and like specific things. Yeah. And even this weekend, I noticed a really funny uh, moment in pickup where I called for a pass from a player from a different club. And I said, uh, yeah, back. And I meant I'm behind your back wheel and they passed it backboards. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's a totally fair, you know, like they, List, they heard me say back and they went backboards and it's like what did or they went back net like is back backboards is back back net like yeah back is a call out i make all the time and to be honest i say the same thing for all three situations so i have no idea where we're you know yeah. if you hear me say back like where do you where are you supposed to go <laughs> yeah a yeah. classic one that from toronto that i think the only club in our region that uses this language i know other clubs do but the only one in our region is split Split. Oh yeah, and Alex, you said it to me like four times this weekend, and every time I was like, "I only know what that means because I lived in Toronto for a year." <laughs> it's just a stretch pass. That's all they want. They want a stretch yeah. pass. Split yeah. the defenders, baby. But you don't have to. Yeah. You just have to lob it over them or bounce off the boards in a way that they're just going to chase the ball down the court. I mean, basically, most Toronto language when they're playing means stretch pass. I, I was going to say there's actually a very, very unique thing in Toronto that I've observed. It's only the vet players that played long before I got there do. Uh, I call it the woodland creatures of Toronto. When they're on, they only make animal call 
animal noises <laughs> like owl hooting or like uh bird calls and stuff like they'll be if you've ever watched like tex nahan and oscar play uh tournaments and for a long time i would say they were probably the most competitive tournament team in toronto they'll be on the court and it'll just be like moose calls and then and like i don't know if that means something to them or i think it just really throws the other team off i don't know what it means but it's just absolutely perplexing i called it like the wild animals or the woodland critters of toronto but it was uh it was pretty special to see on the court yeah it's kind of like uh everyone's got their secret code Secret what we should code. do is get someone from the West Coast on and just talk about all the lingo that we talk like we say on the court and just see how different it is and make like a little glossary of terms and just discuss the pros and cons of good on-court communication, what's positive, what's negative, because there's a lot that goes on in the court. And uh, yeah, it'd be, I think it's a big advantage if you have a little communication system that your team is consistent with. Mm-hmm. Um, another topic he mentions is... Um... Uh, and would be good to actually talk, uh, discuss what's on the show, um, since you are a doctor, um, would be polo and physical, emotional, mental health, um, I guess general wellness from a personal and professional uh, perspective. Um, he likes to think I'm the only doctor, only bike polo playing doctor, <laughs> um, but I also love to be proved wrong on that front, and I'd love to meet any others that may be out there. I'm a firm believer in the importance of community for personal and population health and wellness. I think there's a lot of evidence to support me on that front. So I don't find it surprising to hear um, so many people in polo say uh, that community is their favorite aspect of being a polo player. I a thousand percent agree. Mm-hmm. I think I'm technically also loosely qualified to speak on this topic uh, <laughs> as like a master's level social worker. My job, I don't know if I've ever said this on the pod before, but I'm a mental health counselor in high schools. And um, the benefits of being involved in a community sport or activity um, that has a social piece to it and acceptance piece to it, inclusiveness is, I think it's the number one for maintaining a good mental health. And obviously there's some physical health aspects to the exercise that we get from this as well. But uh, honestly, if we can have the doctor on, we can have a whole health discussion (laughs) as it relates to mental health and physical health, because I know personally of a number of people that have been going through some really hard times and bike polo has helped a lot of people Mm -hmm. um, do that. Yeah. I mean, this whole email was like, we looked at it, we're like, wow, there's a lot in here and we got to have a <laughs> Absolutely. So I'll be writing the email back to him responding. Sorry, Dr. Steven for the long wait, but uh, we'll be getting you on the pod eventually. So all the listeners can look forward to that. Yes. So uh, you can email us um, at North or sorry, Northside Polo Podcast at gmail.com. Um, you could even send us a DM on Instagram. We're at, at Northside Polo Podcast. And um, we'll read your mail on the air. And uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Stephen, for emailing us. And we'll be in touch. Awesome. Anything else, guys, you want to touch on before we wrap this up? I'm so excited to play more polo. Like, yeah, me too. Toronto, it's 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 happening. We're gonna make <clears throat> it happen. Anyone else north of Toronto? I'm living in Vaughn now. <laughs> If anyone in Vaughn wants to play polo, like I am down (laughs) and I might not love this T1 build, but like I basically have two polo bikes now. So get at (laughs) me. There you go. What a way to end this podcast. Alex is starting a Northern Toronto bike polo club um, or just a little practice sesh and then you'll migrate down, I'm sure. But um, yeah, let's wrap this up. Another great episode. Another great tournament in the Northside region. Again, a big thank you to Justin 
Madison doesn't have an email this week, but that's probably because he was working so dang hard too hung over. this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> it's also very possible he was too hungover, but uh, that's okay because we love you just the same. If you're still listening to this podcast, thank you so much. You. If you don't mind, give us a rate and review or whatever you do to support the podcast and subscribe. That always helps us out. We really appreciate it. And uh, until next time, remember, just keep slaying. And if you're slain, slay hard. Bye for now. Bye. Slay hard. Bye.